Welcome to this special midweek edition of the Southcrest Live podcast featuring the teaching of Dr. David Wilson. If this is your first time to listen, be sure to connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. And thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this message from our Wednesday night series. Lord, we are grateful for your many blessings to us and ask that now you challenge us, encourage us, convict us from your word. We know that it is truth. We know that there's no mixture of any error to it. And so we ask that you would allow your spirit to teach us and to transform us, to help us grow. Thank you for these folks who've taken a moment out of their schedules to come and fellowship with other believers and to look at your word. And so right now we ask that you speak to us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Now you'll notice verse 14, chapter 3 is where we're picking up. For this reason. Now, if you'll look at verse 1 of chapter 3, you see the same words, for this reason, or therefore. Well, when he starts in verse 1, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, he, paused, he didn't pause, but he puts a parenthesis there from verses 2 all the way down to 13. And then it gets back on track in verse 14. So really, verse 14 picks up from what he said in verse 1. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. What is the width and the length and the depth and height? To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to, exceedingly, to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. So be it. Emily Johnson wrote in the Reader's Digest years ago, she said, my husband and I were shopping in a garden center and overheard a woman ask the clerk if the plant that she was holding was a house plant or was it a plant for outdoors? And after a short pause, the clerk answered, plant it outdoors. If it dies, it was a house plant. <laughs> it's possible to know a lot about something and not really use it. For example, you may know a lot about an automobile to how the engine and the ignition and transmission operate and never go anywhere in one. But probably the other is true. It's possible to know very little about an automobile and use it every day to travel lots of miles. And that's probably where the majority of people are today. They know very little about the automobile. They just know to put the key in it and go. In the same way, it's possible to know a lot about the Bible 
to know about in doctrine, to know about interpretations, to know more about its promises, its moral standards, its warnings, and so on, and yet not live by those truths. There are a lot of people who know about the Bible, but they don't live by the Bible. And so theology starts, it's important that you understand the doctrine because then the truth and the doctrine and the theology you have is supposed to be translated into the way that we live. And from verse 1 of chapter 1 all the way down to verse 13 of chapter 3, it's pretty much the dividing line for Ephesians. Because chapter 1 through chapter 3, verse 13 gives the basic truths about the Christian life, who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, and the mystery of the gospel, uh, the unlimited resources that we have in him. And then in verse 14 and following, we're challenged and exhorted to live by what we know in the first three. Paul gives his prayer request on behalf of the Ephesians, and he urges them to live in the power and effectiveness of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The first prayer you find back in chapter 1, look back in chapter 1 about verse um, 15 and 16. Therefore, I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You do, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Father would, would show you all of this stuff. He, prayers, he, he prays for their enlightenment. He wants you to know who you are in Christ and what Jesus has done for you. And then he begins this prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father. He, he begins to pray for enablement, that you would take this and live it. So from here to the end of the letter of Ephesians, it's going to be very practical in nature and very systematic in how we are supposed to live. The first prayer in chapter 1 was for them to know their power. The second prayer beginning here in verse 14 is for them to use it. That make sense? Amen. Well, with that in mind, let's take a look at this prayer. And first I want you to notice the posture of it. In verse 14 and 15, he says, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, I already mentioned to you, for this reason, picks up back at verse 1 of chapter 3. There's a, a parenthesis in, chap, in chapter 3, verse 2, down through 13. And the reason Paul is speaking, he says, For what reason? For what reason am I beginning to pray that you will use this power? Well, several. First of all, he, he told them, you're, you've been made spiritually alive in Christ. You are his workmanship. You're no, long, you're no longer uh, strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and of God's household. You're built upon the foundation of the apostles in verse 20. You and the prophets, you're being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit in verse 22. And for this reason, Paul says, I want you to take what you are and who you are and what you know and start living it, putting it into practice. When he uses the term, bow my knees. Now, that was a little strange for a Jewish man to say that because most Jewish people at least the men, 
prayed standing up. You'll find that in the Gospels when people are they're praying. When you see pictures of the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, they're standing in front of that wall, aren't they? Well, it was not common for Jews to pray on their knees, on the bended knees. Kneeling in Paul's eyes, and it is a picture of the intensity of prayer, but it's an intense, it's not your normal stand-up prayer. It's an intense prayer. It, it really is filled with desire and want. And he reminds us, it reminds us of Jesus' posture. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he wasn't standing, was he? He was kneeling. He knelt down and prayed, Luke twenty two forty one. 41. When Stephen was being stoned to death, in Acts chapter 6, verse 60, it says he knelt down to pray as he was being stoned. Peter knelt down to pray when he prayed for the resurrection of Dorcas in Acts chapter 9, verse 40. Paul knelt down to pray in his emotional departure from the Ephesian church in Acts 20, verse 26, 36. And the day is coming when every knee will bow before the Lord Jesus Christ. We're told that in Romans 14, 11 and Philippians 2, 10. And really the attitude is not just necessarily kneeling outwardly, but inwardly. It's a sign of submission. When you kneel before someone, you're saying to them, you're greater than I am. If you bow or kneel before someone, you are greater than I am. It's an act of honor or reverence as in bowing in the presence of, of God. Prayer is a declaration of dependence, not independence. When you pray, you're saying, God, I need you. And so Paul is indicating, it's our way of telling God that we are dependent upon him and we need him. By the way, verse 15, some people who are universalist, universalism believes that everybody's going to heaven regardless. And they use verse 15, but that does not speak of universalism. It's speaking of the saints who've prayed who are now in heaven and are still, and then there are some on earth who are praying. He says, I'm praying to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ from those who have already gone to heaven and those who are still on earth. He's not saying that everybody's going to be saved. I just wanted you to be aware if somebody tries to pull verse 15 on you, stating that everyone's going, that's not what that means. That's taking that out of context. But we see the, the posture or the attitude in prayer. It's not flippant. It's, it's not casual. It, it's a time you're talking to God. Um, we're supposed to have conversations with him. But in this particular case, Paul is saying, I'm praying earnestly for several things. So we see his posture or we see his attitude. Let's, let's look at his petition here. He, he really makes four petitions, four requests in this passage beginning in verse 16. And the, and the first one, and, and the reason you know that is because look at verse 16, and that he would grant you. Now notice the word that. Paul says, Lord, I pray that shows a purpose, an intent. The first thing he prays for is their spiritual stamina. He, that introduces a purpose clause. 
He said, I want them to be strengthened through his spirit according to his riches in the inner man. God's going to strengthen us. It doesn't say out of his riches, but according to his riches. There's a difference. There's a difference in getting someone giving you out of their riches. If you're a multimillionaire and you give me $100, then you've given to me out of your riches. If you're a multimillionaire and you give somebody a check that says you go get what you need, you're giving according to your riches. And God's, God's not limited in the power that he can put in us to do things. In fact, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that conquered death is, is the spirit that lives in us. We have that power. He said, I'm praying that you're going to be given power according to his riches, strengthened through his spirit. Jesus told the disciples in John 15, 5, for without me, you can do nothing. Well, we can't do what we're supposed to do in the God's kingdom without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why he said, according that you be strengthened with, with might through his spirit in where? The inner man. Now, we couple that with what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5. We know that the outer man is perishing. Amen? You've, you've perished a little bit more since last Sunday. <laughs> so have I. May not be that noticeable, but the outer man is in a state of decaying. And we can prolong it, and we prolong it now more than we ever have, but it's still a fact that, that we're, we're all dying. This body is dying you don't feel like you're dying today. Some days feel worse than others, but it's the outer man's not getting better. But the inward man, the person in us, the spirit in us is being renewed day by day. And Paul is saying, I'm praying that you'll be strengthened with his spirit in your inner man. Now, when you get saved, you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. He connects with our spirit. And that his spirit begins to transform the way we think and what we do and the actions that we, we, we fulfill. He, he, he changes us from the inside. The unbeliever the person without the Lord, the person without the Holy Spirit, the person that hasn't been born again, their inward man's not being renewed day by day. They're not growing. In fact, they stumble around with no direction, but in the believer, the new man, the true person is growing more toward be like Christ. And so, when you read 2 Corinthians, let me read 2 Corinthians 4. One, one of the things about spiritual growth is when you, when you grow in the Lord, you, you get further and further away from sin. You don't, you don't sin more. I mean, obviously, we all struggle with sin, but one of the signs of spiritual growth is that you're not controlled by sin. 
anymore. We have this treasure, 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And how do we renew that inward man? With conversation with God. By feeding on his word, that's one of the reasons it's called the, the, the word of God is the meat and the, the milk and the meat of the word. We grow by reading it. What gives us stamina? Your stamina come from your family name, who you, who you were born to? Does your stamina come from your connections to your bank account or your circumstances or your church, your physical condition, your past experience? There's only one way to strengthen the inner man. That's the Holy Spirit in us and, and the Lord. Paul said, remember who you are. You're God's child. Remember you've been forgiven. Remember you have power. Remember who you are. The second part of this petition, he prays for their spiritual stability. That he may dwell, verse 17, he may dwell in your heart's through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, you'll notice several words here. To dwell means to settle down, to abide, to make a permanent home. The Lord begins to feel at home in you. Are you beginning to feel at home in him? Everything you begin to do dwells around who you are in Christ, all of the decisions you make. You look past the moment, say, well, how does this affect the Lord? I want him to be at home. And when Christ is at home in our hearts, many of the questions we ask about what is appropriate is going to be answered. Would the Lord be comfortable with where I'm going right now or what I'm watching or what I'm doing? There's so many people that seem to want to always look for the loopholes. You ever notice that? They always look for the loopholes. What can I get by with? What's legal in the Christian life? What, what is legal enough? Can I do this and still go to heaven? The Bible doesn't say I can't. You ever had anybody tell, ask you that? Well, I get it a lot. I get it a lot. But learning to think in terms of Christ dwelling in our heart adds a whole new dimension to our walk and our guidance. From him, the result of our yielding to the Spirit's power and submitting the Lordship in our hearts is love. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Notice those words, dwell, dwell. 
rooted, grounded. It speaks of stability. It speaks of foundation. When Christ is in control, we're stable. We're not tossed around by every wind of doctrine. We're we're not easily deceived. Does that make sense? I like what an elderly preacher prayed. He's reported to have prayed this prayer every day. Oh, Lord, give me a backbone as big as a saw log and ribs like the large timbers under the church floor. Put iron shoes on my feet, galvanized britches on my body. Give me a rhinoceros hide for skin. Hang a wagon load of determination in the gable end of my soul. Help me to sign the contract to fight the devil as long as I've got a tooth and then gum him until I die. <laughs> now that's stability. That, and you know what? I... I pray that we have people that are growing that way, that no matter what, we shall not be moved off of the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about methodology. I'm talking about the doctrine, and I'm talking about the gospel. We, we won't be moved. You'll never convince me otherwise that Jesus is not the way to be saved. We're spiritually stable. Paul said, I want you to have the Lord's love and, and, be, and to be settled in your faith to know who you are, to live it out, to let it be part of your life. The third part of that petition is, I call it for spiritual savvy, to understand what you have. The word comprehend, that you may be able to comprehend with all of the saints the word comprehend, you're going to take possession of it. You, you, you finally get it. You understand. You lay hold of it, seize it. It means to understand something with the mind. In verse 19, to know that you may know, to know this, it refers to experience gain, knowledge gained by experience. We could all stand up and share the things we've learned through our life, especially when it comes to the Lord, can't we? We've learned by experience. Sometimes we've learned the hard way. There were two hunters, hunters that flew and flew by private plane into a deep part of Canada in search of elk. Plane left them, came back in a week. When the plane returned, Pilot saw that they'd each bagged a big trophy elk. And he immediately told him, he said, there's no way we can get both of those elk on this plane. It's too much weight. Well, they began to argue with him. One of them said, the, the plane that carried us out here last year was exactly like this one. The horsepower was the same. The weather was similar. And we both had elk. So the pilot reluctantly agreed to let them load both of them on the plane Unfortunately, when they took off, there was not sufficient power to climb out of the valley with all that weight, so they crashed. Fortunately, they all survived, but as they stumbled out of that airplane, one hunter asked the other, do you have any idea where we are? He said, well, I'm not sure, but I think we're about two miles from where we crashed last year. <laughs> they learned by experience. They didn't learn much the first time. 
Paul said, I, I want you to be able to comprehend. I want you to begin. Actually, he said, you can't fully comprehend it, but I want you to begin to focus on it and to let it dwell. Someone has estimated that if all of man's accumulated knowledge from the beginning of recorded history to 1845 were represented by one inch, then what we learned from 1845 until 1945 would amount to about three inches. And what we learned from 1945 until 1975 would represent the height of the Washington Monument. And since then, it's probably doubled more than several times. But p few people would argue, though, that the, incre the incredible leap in scientific and technological and other knowledge has not been paralleled by a leap in common sense or wisdom. If anything, man's understanding of what he is doing and why he is doing it seems to have decreased with all of the other knowledge that has increased. And the more learned he becomes in this superficial kind of knowledge, the, the, uh, the less he sees the need to know about God. And so maybe that's what Paul was stating in Romans when he said professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Paul is saying, I want you to comprehend. And he mentions several things about God's love here. He said, first of all, God, God's love is inescapable. Verse 18, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. His love is inescapable. Terms provided here are good pictures by which to by which to think about the greatness of God. Go ahead and advance it to the next one, number one, guys. Go ahead and advance it back there. Do you not have number one, God's love is inescapable? Do you all have a blank for that? Okay. Well, the word is inescapable. There it is. There it is. Um. I don't know why Paul used these geometric terms to describe God's love, but it gives us a good picture. First of all, the width or the breadth reminds us that God's love goes around the world. All the missionary programs today are a response to what God's love is. It goes around the world. The length reminds us that God's love existed long before the world was ever created, and it will go through eternity. There's no beginning and no end to the love of God. God's, the, the depth reminds us that God's love extends to the depths of the human heart. There's no heart where the darkness of human sin is unreachable by the light of God's love. And then the height reminds us that his love lifts us to the very throne of God himself where we may enter with boldness. Hebrews 4, 16 says we can come to the God's throne with boldness to find the grace that we need in time of, of need. There's no place outside the reach of God's love. The early church took this as a sign of the cross. The breadth 
and length stood for the crossbar on which the arms of Christ were nailed. The height and depth stood for the vertical piece to which his legs were nailed. It's a fitting image because nowhere is the love of Christ more clearly seen than on the cross where God died for us. W.A. Criswell liked to talk about John 3.16 as God's love in four dimensions. For God so loved the world, that's the breadth, he included you. That he gave his only begotten son, that's the length, he sent Jesus to die for you, should not perish, that's the depth, he reached down for you and have everlasting life is the height, he lifts you up to heaven. So God's love is broader than the universe, longer than time, higher than hope, deeper than death, and we are strengthened by the Spirit on the inside when we begin to comprehend his love for us. God God doesn't love you any less today than he's ever loved you. No matter if you think you disappointed him, no matter if you didn't live up to your own expectations, you can't escape God's love. Nothing can separate you from it. But God's love is also inexhaustible. Verse 19 says, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses or passes knowledge. Now, that's almost an oxymoron. How can we know something that has surpassed our understanding? But the point is, is that we can't know this love by human knowledge Only the Holy Spirit can reveal God's love to us because man on his own can't comprehend it. And only the love of God could cause Jews and Gentiles to have love for one another and cause us to forgive someone that's hurt us. I mean, have you ever thought about that? You could love some people that before you met Jesus, you would have never loved. And God's caused you to have a love in your heart that you would have never had before. It's inexhaustible. The word surpasses means to throw over or beyond or transcend or exceed. This does not mean that the love of God cannot be known at all, but it means that all the love of God, all of the love of God cannot be known by man. We're not big enough to handle it. We can't, we can't absorb it. We can't take it all. Ocean. It'd be like you trying to stand on the beach and you look at the ocean and you say, I know everything about the ocean. No, you, you know, you get your feet wet on the ocean, you know it's beautiful, but you and I don't even begin to comprehend all about the ocean. Well, we experience God's love, but we don't know all of God's love. That's what he's saying. You, it surpasses knowledge. You'll never understand God's love, so don't try to figure it out. Just receive it. You don't have to figure something out before you use it and enjoy it. I don't understand electricity but I use it. I'm not going to stumble around in the dark until I figured out what electricity is and how it works and everything I've learned about it. I'm just going to flip that switch and use it. And so it is with the love of God. Paul is saying, I'm praying you'll be strengthened that Jesus will be your Lord and you'll understand how much he loves you. One of the reasons we have a hard time understanding It's because our love, in many ways, is conditional. We love those who love us. We love those who have not hurt us. We we love those who agree with us. 
So it's hard for us to understand. Paul said, you can't begin to fathom God's love for you. And I have to confess to you, the older I get, the more I wonder, why, why Lord, did you ever love me in the first place? When I've been such a disappointment in so many ways, why did you ever love me in the first place? It's inexhaustible. It won't ever run out. Sometimes we as parents, we've used the term with our children, you have exhausted my patience. But you're not going to exhaust the love of God. Now, you, get, you stop and think about that for a minute. You can't do anything today to make God love you any more than he loves you. Boy, that takes some pressure off, doesn't it? That's grace. That's mercy. That's grace. Paul's petition also includes he praying for spiritual sufficiency, to be filled. It means to make full, to fill to the full. That you in verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, you and I are not going to be God, but it means to be dominated by God. God's able to do things through you that you can't do on your own, but the sufficiency has to come from him. There's an old story about a boiler maker who was hired to fix a huge steamship boiler system. And after listening to the engineer's description of the problem and asking a few questions, he went down to the boiler room and he looked at the maze of twisting pipes, listened to the thump of the boiler and the hissing of the escaping steam for a few minutes. He felt some of the pipes with his hands. Then he hummed softly to himself, reached in his overalls, took out a small hammer and tapped a bright red valve. Immediately, the entire system began working perfectly. The boilermaker went home. Steamship owner got a bill for $1,000. And he complained that the boilermaker had only been in the engine room for 15 minutes, and he requested an itemized bill. So the boilermaker sent him an itemized bill that said, for tapping with a hammer, 50 cents. For knowing where to tap, $999.50. The Lord in us knows where to tap and where not to tap. I also want you to notice something else about Paul's prayer. The third thing is the potential of it. Look at verse 20. Now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, what can we expect God to do? John Stott points out there are seven stages in this statement. He is able to do because he's he's not idle. He's not dead. He is able. God is alive. He can do what we ask because he hears us when we pray. He can do what we think for he knows what we think before we think it. He can do all we ask or think because he knows it all and can do it all. He can do more than we ask or think because his plans are bigger than our plans. He can do much more than we ask or think because there's no holding back with God. 
And he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can imagine because he is God. Now, that word exceedingly abundantly, it's a little awkward for us in English when you put two adverbs together. We put the L-Y, exceedingly abundantly. And we sometimes wonder, could that be a misprint? Or it's not really a great translator, translation, but, or it's not easy to read. The translators chose that odd formation because Paul coined a word in the Greek that had never been used before. And he used three parts to it. The first part meant above and beyond, hooper. The second part, ek, which means out of. The third word, parousau, abundant. And it, it means in def, infinitely above and beyond all human assessment. It's one thing to do what somebody asks you to do. It's another thing to go beyond what they ask you to do, but it's something else to go infinitely beyond what they ask you to do. And put it in West Texas terms, God's ability is off the chart. You can't put it on a chart. It's way off the chart. You can't think it. That's how big God is. And this verse is teaching us that the exceeding, abundant, immeasurable, infinite ableness of God, there are no limits to what God can do. And it goes back to what I mentioned Sunday. A lot of people believe that God can save us and take us to heaven, but he just can't handle what we're going through here. So let me read that verse in a different way. He is able to do. He is able to do exceedingly. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above. He's, eating, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or even think. Don't we serve a great God? Well, Paul couldn't help himself. In verse 21, you see the last part of his prayer is the praise. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. When you begin to understand how much God loves you and all that he has done for you and who you are in his kingdom and the, his spirit that lives in you and guides you and how much God loves you and, and all the power that he has and what he's going to be able to do, you just can't help it, folks. You began to give him the glory because he's an awesome God. He's an awesome God. We forget it. He is our Lord and God, and, and when we talk to him, you're talking to 
the one who fought the world into existence. He, he created the world out of nothing. He spoke it into being. He created us in his image, and I'm so glad that we get to know him personally. And when we draw our last breath, we'll go be with him. Speaking of that, one of our good friends, our faithful members, Daryl Greenlee, got a promotion this week. Y'all have seen Daryl. He's been coming to church with oxygen forever. Had the most positive attitude of anybody I've ever met. When you talk to him, he'd come to my office. He would say things like, you know, I'm going to win either way. If I get better, fine. If I don't, I'm just going home. He said, I'm, I'm kind of excited about seeing Jesus and seeing my wife. His wife, Nancy, died in May of 2013, and Daryl was lonely. But he was faithful. Daryl lived till he died. He did. And you know what I'm talking about. I, I'm, you know, I mean, he came to church. In fact, it was just a week ago this past Sunday that I saw him and got to speak to him for a moment. And so his service will be next Monday at 11 right here. They'll probably announce it again on Sunday or will announce it again on Sunday. But, I, but his service will be here at, on, at 11 o'clock. And um, you can pray for his family. We have a lot of other people that are critically ill. But I wanted you to know about Daryl. Some of you would recognize him, or if you, you, you know, if you saw him, you go, "Oh, I know who he is." He just always had. He was always trying to encourage people. He liked to make people laugh. He had a great attitude. He wasn't perfect. He'd tell you, "I've made so many mistakes in my life, but I'm so thankful that God has forgiven me." So um, Daryl doesn't have any trouble breathing anymore. He's with Jesus. Thank you, folks, for being here tonight. I want to lead us in prayer, and and um, I want to thank you for coming. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege of coming into your throne room anytime, unashamedly, with confidence, knowing that we're welcome to talk to you. We're your children. We're not perfect. We're just forgiven. And we thank you for what you have done for us. And Lord, sometimes we forget how much you do love us and how you have saved us, how you've assured our future. And we thank you tonight for your many blessings to us. Help us to be spiritually stable. And have the stamina to keep on and not to give up and to encourage each other. But we thank you for your spirit that lives in us, that keeps us on track. And Lord, may we continue to grow in you and to mature and, and, and to live till we die. To live for you till we die. To tell the others the good news. I do pray for Daryl's family that you would help his son and daughter during this time and that you would, would use this in some way to touch their lives also. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of this fellowship. And I pray that you'll keep us safe and, 
And Lord, we have so many that are so critically sick and ill. We ask that you would encourage them and touch their lives and help them today. So Lord, we don't ever take for granted that we get up the next day and we can function and live. And, and so we ask that you help us to faithfully follow you daily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I read something worth telling you. It's not New Year's resolutions. It's daily devotion. That makes all the difference. Go and sin no more. (laughs) Thanks for listening to this installment of the Southcrest Wednesday Night Series featuring Senior Pastor David Wilson. Remember, you can also live stream our Sunday and Wednesday services. Go to southcrestlive.tv for more details or to southcrest.org to learn more about Southcrest Baptist Church. And thanks for listening.